So the reading this evening is Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 31. Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be turned over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has helped healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. This is the word of the Lord. Hazel, thank you so much for reading for us. Do please keep your Bibles open at that passage. Help us as we look at it together. Um, Let's pray. Lord, if we're to understand your word to us this evening, we need your help. And we pray that you would be with us by your spirit. You'd help us to see, help us to understand. And Lord, may we be built up, may we be encouraged, may we respond to what you have to say to us this evening. Amen. Amen. 
Well, at the end of every year, the New Year's Honours List is published. Uh, the New Year's Honours ceremony looks something like this. There's, um, uh, I think he was Prince Charles then, but King Charles giving someone a knighthood. And on that list are people who have achieved amazing things like sporting, academic or business success. And there are people who've done great acts of public service, um, like setting up charities. The New Year's Honours List does what it says on the tin. It uh, honours people's success and their achievements. And when I was preparing this sermon, I googled uh, New Year's Honour and up popped an advert. I was fascinated to see this. An advert from a company called Awards Intelligence. And it said this. It said, how to get a royal honour? Contact us for a free, honest assessment of your chance of King's Honour List success. Apparently, if you pay awards intelligence to make your application for an honour, it will increase your chances of getting one. Well, I didn't bother, but there we are. <laughs> In this part of Luke's Gospel, we've seen two people who might have been on the New Year's Honours list had there been one in Jesus' time. There was a Pharisee who was a religious leader who, who showed lots of signs of being a good person. And then last week we met a rich ruler who had lots of money and was quite religious. But Jesus makes it clear that the things which would have gained them honour in their society didn't make any difference before God. It didn't matter that one of them was very religious it didn't matter that one of them, um, that, that they kept some of God's laws. It didn't matter that one of them was very rich. And when the disciples were told this, they were utterly shocked. And they asked Jesus, who then can be saved? Jesus had just been talking about the day of judgment, which we will all face. And now the very things that the disciples thought would have saved people, it turns out, were no use at all. None of the things which gave them honor and respect in their time counted for anything. And the disciples were stunned, and they asked this question, who then can be saved? And it's a really important question, because each of us will one day face God on the day of judgment, and we need to know the answer to that question, who, who can be saved? And Jesus answers that question by saying, what is impossible with men is possible with God. It's impossible for you and me to save ourselves. It's impossible when we come to the day of judgment to save ourselves, but it is possible with God. And Jesus explains in verses 31 to 33 how God makes it possible for us to be saved. And that brings me to my first heading, which is Jesus's death and resurrection make salvation possible. In verse 31, Jesus tells us that he is deliberately heading to Jerusalem to do what is needed so that we can be saved. It was part of God's plan. The Old Testament predicted it. And what he says he's going to do is utterly shocking. It's easy for us to miss that, some of us to miss that, because of our familiarity. You see, you'd expect God's son to go to Jerusalem to receive honor and glory but instead he went to Jerusalem to endure what was probably the most shameful thing that could have happened to someone at the time. Look at what verse 32 says. He will be delivered to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. 
And what Jesus is telling us in these verses is that he would suffer the shame and punishment that we deserve for the way we have treated God and other people. He's telling us that he's doing that for us. Just a few verses before our reading, we met a tax collector who came to the temple recognizing that he was a sinner and pleading to God for mercy. His life was not one of honor, but shame. He would have been regarded as the lowest of the low. In our society, the equivalent may well be a convicted pedophile. And yet Jesus chose to take on a status which was below that of the despised tax collector or convicted pedophile in order to save people who know they are sinners and who know that they can't save themselves. Do you see what Jesus is doing? See, the tax collector recognized that he was a sinner. Jesus died to pay for the sins of the world. The tax collector experienced shame. Well, Jesus took upon himself the shame of all who recognize that they're completely dependent on him. The tax collector suffered alienation and rejection. Well, Jesus suffered the the alienation and rejection of the world. The tax collector was the object of the Pharisees' contempt. Jesus was the object of all human contempt. Jesus explained to the disciples that he would suffer and die in the place of all who trust in him. But thankfully, that's not where he leaves it. He also tells them that he will come back to life. Sin, shame, suffering, and death will not have the last word. Jesus predicts he will defeat them and rise again so that if we're trusting in him, we too can have new life in him. And it's in receiving that new life from God, from him, sorry, it's in receiving that new life from him that God gives us a higher status than we can ever achieve for ourselves as we become adopted members of God's family. So what are our lives about? Are we devoted to the things which will give us honor and status in life, but which won't save us on the day of judgment? Or do we know that before God, we are helpless sinners who can do nothing to save ourselves except trust in Jesus and what he did for us when he humbled himself, died on the cross, and rose again in order to save us. If you're here this evening and you know that you have failed God, if you're here this evening and you are struggling with shame, well, this is breathtakingly good news. Jesus' death and resurrection make your and my salvation possible. What Jesus was telling his, good, his disciples was, was such good news, but the awful thing which we see in our passage of verse 34 is that the disciples didn't understand it. And Luke emphasizes that in case we didn't get it the first time. He says its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about, and they didn't ask him about it either. I spent many years as I was growing up going to church, but just not understanding why Jesus died. I thought it was a tragedy, I knew it mattered somehow, but I I just didn't understand it. And Jesus wants us to know that it's only through faith in him that we will understand and be saved. And that's my next heading. And he shows that in the way that he heals the blind man. You see, the disciples were blind in the sense that they couldn't see the point of Jesus' death and resurrection. The blind man was physically blind. 
And Jesus teaches us through his healing of the blind man that if we really want to see, to understand how we can be saved through his death and resurrection, we need to trust in him just as the blind man did. But the blind man has nothing to give him status before Jesus. None of the things we're told about um, gave him status in his society. In fact, they only gave him shame. Contrast him with the rich ruler who we're told had great wealth. Well, the blind man is a beggar who had no money whatsoever. And what's more, he, he is disabled, which would have prevented him from working and would have led to shame rather than honor. This man is of such low status that when he cries out to Jesus, he's rebuked and he's just told to shut up. The people around Jesus are all bound up with the things which give them status and honor. They're concerned about what's impressive and what makes them impressive. But when the blind man, when, and when the blind man asks them what is happening, in verse 36, they answer, well, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. But you see, all they can see is Jesus of Nazareth. But look at how the blind man addresses Jesus. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. The blind man describes Jesus as the son of David. David had been Israel's great king. And to call Jesus the son of David, well, is to say that Jesus is God's Messiah. Do you see he has honor and status in the blind man's life? It's not him, but it's Jesus, God's Messiah. And so what does he cry out? Have mercy on me. It's the same cry as the tax collector in the passage we looked at a couple of weeks ago. It's the cry of someone who comes before God knowing that they have nothing which gives them status before him. It's the cry of someone who knows that they depend utterly on him and his mercy. And the people try to tell the blind man to shut up, but he shouts all the more, and Jesus comes over to him. People who think that social status and honor really matters don't tend to mix with those of low social status. They don't tend to mix with the down and outs. But Jesus does. And isn't that glorious news for us? Jesus comes over and he he says, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind beggar replies, Lord, I want to see. He recognizes he comes with empty hands. He recognizes something of the status of Jesus and the honor which is due him, due to him. He recognizes his dependence on him. And he asks for something that only Jesus can give. And Jesus responds, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. The word used for healed can also be translated saved. It's the same word which the disciples used in their question, who then can be saved? See, the blind man was healed and saved. He trusted in Jesus for what only Jesus could give him. And notice that Jesus says to him, receive your sight. See, Christianity is all about receiving what God wants to give us and not about earning and claiming by right. So if you're struggling to understand what Christianity is about, don't remain silent like Jesus' disciples, but cry out to him like the blind man. And don't approach Jesus depending on your own status and honor, 
but give him the status and honor that he deserves. In other words, acknowledge him as Lord and Savior and ask him for mercy, for the forgiveness which only he can give. I was listening to one of Simon Gilbo's podcasts. You may remember Simon. Simon came and preached here um, some months ago. I was listening to one of his podcasts yesterday where he interviews a man called uh, Mark Rowan. There's a picture of Mark Rowan there. Mark um, looks very respectable there, but he grew up in a dysfunctional family with an abusive father, and he ended up in the care system, and he ended up in a dreadful life of drugs, crime, uh, and prison. I mean, it is a really miserable tale if you listen to it. But in the podcast, he describes this wonderful moment when, by God's grace, he came to understand that he could be forgiven and could have a clean slate and a fresh start because of what Jesus had done for him on the cross. And that evening, he describes how in his prison cell, he asked for forgiveness and surrendered his life to Christ. Now, our sins may look different from Mark Rowan's, but we're all sinners. And it is only through faith in Jesus that we will, be, we will understand and be saved. So the disciples asked Jesus, who then can be saved? And Jesus answered that salvation was possible only through his death and resurrection. And he showed that it's only through faith that we can understand and be saved. And in the last part of our passage, the last part of our reading, we see that genuine faith in Jesus involves receiving him and repenting. Now, the story of Zacchaeus is a favorite. Actually, it now always brings to mind um, dear Wayne Dixon. Um, you know, expect him to pop up and do the, the Zach rap, but, but we're not going to do that now. It, it, it is a favorite, isn't it? Here is this diddy little guy who, when we read about him, everyone hates him. And he clambers up a tree to see Jesus. Uh, and then, to everyone's surprise, Jesus comes and talks to him. And, and then, to everyone's surprise, asks if, if, he, if he can come home with him. Uh, and Zach's life ends up being transformed. So what's going on here? Well, Zach has a very low social status. He, he, he has something, interestingly, that would normally give people status. He has money. He has great wealth. But he's introduced as the chief tax collector. And tax collectors were hated and despised people. And as I've said, the modern equivalent is perhaps a convicted pedophile. Zach has the status symbols, but he doesn't have the status. Zach doesn't command honor and respect. His life is covered with shame. And when you think about it, it probably wasn't his size which prevented him from seeing Jesus. The crowd could have let him through, but in all probability, they wouldn't because of who he was. And that's why he ends up climbing a tree. Zacchaeus has no status in society. He has nothing which will give him status before Jesus. But he wants to see Jesus, just like the blind man wanted to see Jesus. We see that in, in those first few verses of, first, of chapter 19. And verse 3 says, he wanted to see who Jesus was. And that could also be translated, he was seeking to see who Jesus was. You see, Zach desires in his heart to see who Jesus is. When I was at university, the American president, Bill Clinton, came to visit. 
I realize as I write this that he, it sounds as though he came to visit me. He came to visit um, the, the university town where I was at university to receive an honorary fellowship. And, and I joined the crowd uh, with a load of friends just, just to clap, catch a glimpse of him. Well, Zacchaeus wanted more than just a small glimpse of Jesus. He was seeking Jesus. He wanted to see him in a way that it appears the disciples didn't. The blind man kept shouting out, even though people tried to shut him up. Zacchaeus climbs a tree because he wants to see who Jesus is. Both men want to see Jesus. They want to understand who he is. And so Zac is up a tree, and there is an extraordinary moment when Jesus goes up to him. Jesus is the son of God. He is the one who deserves all the honor. And he goes up to Zacchaeus, who the crowd will have nothing to do with because he's the lowest of the low and to mix with him will only bring shame jesus talks to the one person you wouldn't be seen dead talking to and shockingly he says zacchaeus come down immediately i must stay at your house today the crowd shuns zacchaeus but jesus says to him i want to come to your home to stay with you And Jesus is offering Zacchaeus more than just another friendship. He's saying to Zacchaeus, will you invite me into your life? Will you receive what only I can give you? Will you say sorry for all the bad things you've done? Will you resolve to turn away from all the bad things you've been doing? Will you love me as your God? If you receive me, says Jesus, well, I will do what is needed to save you from the judgment you deserve. This is a massive moment. Zacchaeus has a choice. He could say no, he could carry on before and hang on to all the money he'd stolen. Or he could do what he in fact did do. And Luke tells us, so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. He doesn't delay. He doesn't put off receiving Jesus. You see, Zacchaeus sees who Jesus is and he welcomes him with joy Another translation says he received him joyfully. Faith in Jesus involves receiving him. And Jesus Jesus told the blind man, receive your sight. And we're told immediately he received his sight. And Jesus says to Zacchaeus, I want to come into your life. And Zacchaeus received him joyfully. Christianity is not about the things which I do, which I will think will give me status before God. It's all about receiving Jesus into our lives and receiving from him what only he can give us. Zacchaeus' faith involves receiving Jesus joyfully and his faith also involves repentance. If we're genuinely sorry for the ways in which we have sinned against God, well, we will want to change the way we live and make good the wrong we have done. In verse 8, we're told But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. You see, Zacchaeus' repentance is breathtaking. He pledges to give one half of his possessions to the poor, and he shows how sorry he is for the way he's cheated people by saying he will pay back four times the amount. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned in a sermon that moment in the theater when the lights dim and the spotlights shine on the main character. You see, what Zacchaeus is doing in repenting and giving his way, his wealth, is to shine the spotlight on God 
and to give him the honor and the glory for saving him. I mentioned that uh, podcast interview with Mark Rowan. Before he became a Christian, he was well known to the police. They knew when he was in an area because the crime rates went up. And when he became a Christian, he went to work for a church. And the police were so bothered by it that they kept ringing the pastor to the church and warning him what Mark Rowan was like. And the pastor kept saying, no, Mark Rowan is no longer like that. And the police could not believe it. And so in the end, they asked to see him. And when they met him, they couldn't believe he was the same person. And he told them that it was all because of what Jesus had done in his life. Do you see, Mark Rowan had repented. He had changed. And the spotlight was on Jesus. He gave him the honor. And so as we conclude, let's go back to the advert I mentioned at the beginning. That company's advert read how to get a royal honour. Contact us for free for a free, honest assessment of your chance of King's Honour List success. Well, imagine that was talking not about King Charles, but about King Jesus. What would be an honest assessment of your chance of King's Honour List success? You see, the blind man and Zacchaeus knew that if it was down to them it was impossible for them to save themselves. They knew they deserved God's judgment. And yet we see that they are both saved by Jesus. And Jesus explains at the end of our passage that he came to seek and to save the lost, the lost like the blind man and the tax collector. So what about you and me? We live in a world where sporting, academic or business success and acts of public service Give great honour and status. They're the sort of thing which will get you into the New Year's honours list. And there's nothing wrong with those things in themselves. But do we see that they won't get us anywhere before God? See, the only thing which will save us is Jesus' life, death and resurrection. And we won't even understand that unless Jesus enables us to see it. And if we do see it, The only response is to receive what he has done for us and to repent and to live a life which gives him honor and glory. Let's pray. Oh, loving Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came to seek and to save what was lost. We thank you that you came to live that life of shame, to die in a shameful way, and to rise again to save sinners like us. Oh Lord, we know that we don't deserve it, and we thank you that you have made possible what is impossible for us. We pray that you'd help us to see it, and we pray, Lord, that we would live lives of repentance, lives which honour you and give you the glory. And we ask this for your name's sake. Amen.